Morning, everybody. Great to see you today. Uh, I just want to say, as I said last week, tonight is our vision night, and this vision night is different from any other vision night we've ever had. It takes place at 5 o'clock informations in your bulletin at our Boston space. Uh, We're talking about an opportunity that has presented itself to us to have a semi-permanent location. And so we'll be fielding questions about that tonight and tell you all about it. So you might, uh, you might be interested in that. And if you are, everybody's welcome to come. I want to say before I get started that, uh, my wife is just, uh, such a giving heart. Uh, she just never misses an opportunity to give. And so she gave me a cold this past week. <laughs> so I want to put that out there in the beginning that I'll have a cough drop in and I'll have, you know, some water. Uh, with me here throughout the time. Uh, you know, I want to say something that we've all known for a really long time, but now we finally have science to back it all up. The New England Journal of Medicine has discovered that a man with a cold is in pain 78% greater <laughs> than a female with a cold. And that's just the starting point. So if you have a man in your life, he could be suffering two, three, four, five times more than you. All right. Today we're talking about it's a wonderful opportunity. And I hope that all of you have now seen It's a Wonderful Life. I hope that you have afforded yourself this great opportunity to see It's a Wonderful Life, incredible movie. We began talking about it last week. I just want to mention one scene. This week I actually sent it out on a text uh, yesterday, this scene where you got George Bailey, who is the good guy. He has good values and everything, and he's running the Bailey savings and loan. And then you got the wicked Mr. Potter. And Potter realizes, finally, that he is not going to be able to keep George Bailey down, that eventually Bailey is going to overrun him. And so what he decides to do is get out in front of the train and offer George a job. Now, George has always wanted to see the world. George is a very smart, very ambitious young guy. And he offers him, and this is like in the mid-20th century, he offers him $20,000 a year, which was big money back then, big money. Says you can go to New York every year, New York City, travel there, Europe maybe once every two or three years. And George hesitates for a moment. Then he finally says to Mr. Potter, can you give me 24 hours to think about it? Mr. Potter says, absolutely, take all the time in the world, talk to your wife, think about what you want to do. And then George shakes his hand, and when he shakes his hand, that's when he knows. He has just put his hand in the hand of the devil. He realizes that he cannot, even though the temptation caused him for a moment to figure out, forget about who he really is. That's what temptation does to us. It causes us to forget our identity and who we are and what our values are. Today we're going to talk about it's a wonderful opportunity because many of us in this room at West Falls Church are watching on Grace Live. Today we're standing on the edge of a wonderful opportunity. I don't know what that is for you, but God seems to bring those opportunities before us. Life tends to bring those opportunities before us. Today, we stand on the edge of a wonderful opportunity. What is it for you? Where are you in your life? Well, this is John's version of the Christmas story that was just read here by the Davis family and the O'Rourke family over at West Falls Church just read there. It's John's version of the Christmas story. 
We said last week that in John, light is a major theme. And what does light equal? Light equals understanding. And so when it says that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness could not extinguish it, what it's really saying there is that the darkness cannot understand the light. There's a battle between understanding and misunderstanding. And many people say that the gospel of John is the gospel of misunderstanding. And so John writes this letter basically for us so that we would have a very, very clear understanding of who Jesus is. Because if all of us are made in the image of God, then that is one of the most incredible statements ever made. I mean, that shook the world. We are made in the image of God. Everybody is equal in the eyes of God. That statement has reverberated through the centuries, shaken us up. We are all created in the image of God. It's an incredible statement. And if we're all created in the image of God, if then we can figure out who God is, we will figure out who we are. And so the premise of this entire book of John is once I have a better understanding of who Jesus is, I'll have a much better understanding of who I am. Psychology today tells us that our own identity is incredibly important. If we have a very loose hold on our own personal identity, we're going to suffer from discontentment. We're going to suffer from poor decisions. We're going to suffer from a lack of purpose. But if you and I have a strong and clear identity of who we are, We'll have a stronger purpose. We'll have greater fulfillment. We'll make better decisions and fewer regrets. Now, wouldn't you want that? I know I do. So that's what happens when we have a strong identity. And that's why John writes this incredible book for us. He wants to show us the values of Jesus Christ, who Christ is. What amazes me, and I said this last week at the start of the series, is I know so many people that they have and they love the values that Jesus Christ has made worldwide famous, but they don't value Jesus. And so somewhere along the line, there's a great misunderstanding. And you and I maybe have the opportunity to not only clear up the misunderstandings we have, but to be able to share that with other people. We have this opportunity. So I'm just going to go through these verses 6, 7, and 8. We were redundant today with verses 1 to 5, so I just want to go through 6, 7, and 8, and it starts this way. God sent a man, and his name was John the Baptist. What that tells us right there is that God sends people. Has God ever sent a person into your life? Has God ever sent somebody into your life? Sometimes we think to ourselves, man, was that God? It wasn't God. But God sends people, we're told, into our lives. I can think of dozens of times in my life where God has sent people along my path to help me out. And I am so thankful. A bunch of years ago when my son was just graduating from high school, he likes to promote concerts. And he did this concert. He was 18 or 19 years old. And it was a hard rock concert. And uh, he sold 5,000 tickets. And that was much bigger than anybody had anticipated. And of all places, he was holding the concert in a little town called Woodstock, Virginia. Not Woodstock, New York, but Woodstock, Virginia. And uh, the local town really kind of, I don't want to say freaked out, but it became a really big deal. Like all of a sudden, we're going to have 5,000 hard rockers descend on this little town. And so... um, I realized that my son needed a little bit of help at the last minute. And so I jumped in and, and helped him. 
And the police department had called and said, we need to meet with you. And if you can't give us some assurances that you have a really good security plan in place, we're going to shut this whole thing down. And this was like two days before. Well, God sent all kinds of people my way, but I'll just tell you about one person. His name is Brian Runzel. He worked for the State Department. And Brian Runzel took off a couple days from work, put together a security plan, and we thought we were going to walk into a room with just the chief of police and maybe one other of his aides. And instead, we walked into a room with 40 people. The fire department was there, the hospital was there, VDOT was there, police was there, sheriff was there, 40 people in this huge conference room. I'm like, oh my gosh, I am in over my head. So I got up there uh, first, I introduced myself, and then I said, here's Brian, take it away, right? And I was so happy that God sent Brian Runzel into my life. Now, God has sent all kinds of people into my life. God sends people. Now, here's a more important question than God sending people into your life. What about God sending you into other people's lives? Is God trying to, is, is like, has that been on the table for you for a while? Has God been trying to send you into somebody else's life? Man, it's so special when that happens. If that is on the table before you that God has been nudging you, trying to send you in a certain direction to people, please consider going with the flow. Consider answering that call. Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 6, God says, who will I send? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And it is so cool when we jump out there and we allow God to send us. Now, my wife, who I mentioned earlier, who has such a giving heart and gave me this beautiful cold, uh, we, she, she needed to um, clean up my mother-in-law's house. So about five or six years ago, we asked our in-laws, we said, you know, it's, the time's going to come when you're not going to be able to like clean up a lot of the stuff in this house. So it'd be great if you started now. And my mother-in-law, God bless her, she said, um, I'm never leaving this house. And I said, uh, I call her the queen, and there's a good reason why. Uh, I said, there's going to come a time when you're not going to be able to do this. I guarantee you're going to leave this house. So could you start now? And she said, I'm not leaving this house. So anyway, uh, she left the house, and... Um, my, my wonderful wife, basically, mostly by herself, went in for six months, got everything in order so she could rent the house out for her mom. And in the process, she was in the crawl space underneath, and she found at least 20 coffee cans, big old coffee cans of pennies, nickels, dimes, and quarters. And I looked at all that, and I said, that's got to be close to $2,000, so we looked up, where can you take all the coins? Because our bank doesn't take the coins anymore. And we realized there's a thing called Coinstar. You know what they want? They want 10%. That's $200. My first thought was, no way. My second thought was, how do I get one of these coin machines? <laughs> so we searched and searched, and we found there's a bank actually at no fee. Well, you know, they have the little coin machine to do the coins. So it was all the way out in Winchester. And we had to go visit some friends and family out in Winchester. So, well, let's go out there to this little tiny bank in this little tiny town. Now, let's take the coins and let's do this thing for free. So we did. We get out there and it took me a solid 45 minutes out there working with the coins while Krista's in opening the account. And the idea was we're going to have the account open for three months and then just shut it down and withdraw all the money, right? I come in after 45 minutes and Krista has developed a relationship with this woman who is there and is going through a very difficult time. 
And they're praying and they're crying and they're exchanging cell phone numbers. God sent her at a very important moment. Don't ever underestimate the power of what maybe your presence or your words might do. It was a special moment. That was clear. So now we haven't shut down the account. We've had it now for a year. And out of loyalty, I don't think we're ever shutting this account down because we, I guess, Krista's remembering to pray for this lady all the time in the difficult situation that she's going through. But I got one last point about God sending. More important than God sending people to you and you sending, God sending you to somebody else, here's the most important thing. God sends himself. 55 times, everybody, in the Gospel of John. I'm going to say that again. 55 times times the word sent is used. Most of those times, Jesus is saying, the Father has sent me. Sent me to who? Sent me to you. Now, the Gospel of John is the book that every theologian will tell you has the clearest purpose of any book in the Bible. I write these things that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's at the end of the book. It's at the end of the book. A lot of the book talks about believing in Christ, but that's at the end. What is clear is at the beginning, there is all of this information about how God has sent his son Jesus into our life. And why would he send Jesus into our lives if he didn't believe in us? And so long before you think about putting your belief in Jesus Christ, if that's on the table for you today, think about this. He believes in you. And the entire book, the first 20 chapters, is all about his incredible belief in you. He has great belief in you. Now listen. If you had a choice, and some of us here in the room today, we're a church for people who don't go to church. Many of us in this room today, we're not there yet. We haven't, we haven't placed belief in Jesus Christ. Many of those at West Falls Church and on Grace Life, we haven't. But let's just think for a moment. Wouldn't you want to believe in a father or a mother or a God that when you're in trouble, they would show up? I mean, that's kind of what a good parent does. And and the thing is, all throughout history, the gods, so to speak, when you're in trouble, you're just in trouble. That's your problem. And all of a sudden, we have a God who says, I've been sent to you. I'm coming to you. I'm helping you. I'm here for you. I'm here to rescue you because I love you, because I believe in you. That's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible. And that is the kind of God that we would want. About four weeks ago, on a Sunday morning at 4.30 a.m., I got a sharp elbow in my side, and it was my wife. And she said, wake up. Gracie is sick, and I can't get a hold of her. The last text message I have from Gracie, our daughter's in Florence, Italy, studying for a semester. The last message I have from Gracie is that her throat is hurting, and it feels like it's closing up, and all of a sudden I can't get a hold of her, and I can't get a hold of her roommate. And I don't know where she is. I'm like, okay. Trying to shake the fog out of my head. Well, do you know what my wife did? Right before she was getting ready to leave to go get on an airplane. She called the American consulate. Yes. I mean, she talked to four or five People, I mean, when our daughter was in church, that's why she couldn't get a hold of her. When she got to church, our daughter Gracie said, Mom, what are you doing? What are you, are you, why would you do that? But that's what a parent does. I think the ambassador showed up at her house the next day, man. We were, 
we were getting emails and phone calls from all kinds of people. It was, it was absolute. They actually were very, very good. It was amazing. But this is what about, wouldn't you want a God like that? That's what Jesus says. I've been sent to you. Think about that for a second. Long before you ever put belief in God, Jesus Christ has put his belief in you because you're worth it. This is the premise of John. Now, verse number six goes on. He's called John the Baptist. And almost every Christmas story, John the Baptist is there somewhere at the beginning. Why is he called the Baptist? Because he's baptizing everybody. It's not his last name. He's not John. His last name is the Baptist. He's John the Baptist because he baptizes. His nickname, he baptizes everybody. He's like a hero. He's very popular back in those days. He's kind of a person that could not be bought. If something was going on dishonest or illegal or immoral, you could count on John to speak up about it. He just didn't let it go. He could not be bought. He was humble, yet he was bold. He was strong, and we're told that he was baptizing out in the wilderness. Why is that important? Because anybody go to the wilderness. Anybody. The wilderness means it's open for everybody to come. And that's what they did. Tax collectors working for the oppressors, the Romans. Tax collectors, they're the enemy. They're showing up. Roman soldiers, they are the enemy. They're showing up. It is amazing. Everybody goes to the wilderness. Everybody is welcome out in the wilderness. And I just want to stop for a second because I was thinking about John the Baptist actually just last night. And what, what a renegade he was. I mean, he just, he swam upstream. He went against the flow. He went out there, open arms to everybody, beckoned everybody to come to be immersed in the waters. And we'll talk about what that means in just a second. But he went against the flow, opening his arms and the kingdom of God to absolutely everybody. And you know what struck me about that? This church, we say this often, we're a church for people who don't go to church. And I tell you something, almost 40% of this church self-classifies as a non-church goer. And you know what it takes for a church like this to function? I've been around the church well. I realized the other day, I still feel like I'm 25, but I'm no longer 25. I've been around a long time now. And I can tell you exactly what it takes for a church like this to function. You've got to have church people who are fired up about Jesus and have the spirit of John the Baptist to do the praying and the serving and the giving that makes all of it go. Now, almost 90% of church growth in the United States of America is attributed to Christians changing churches. When churches start, they'll have close to 40% self-classify as non-church people. But after five years, something sets in. I think it's human nature. And we tend just to want to get around people that are just like us. And I want to take my hat off to all you church people in this room. There's about 60% of you in this room that self-classify as a church person. You're like me. I say this all the time. I was birthed on a pew. I've been in church all my life. But this is incredible that you do what you do because it is entirely unique. When we look at statistics and we look at surveys and when other organizations survey us, they're like, oh my gosh, you're off the charts. We are eight times the national average. That would not be possible if it wasn't for church people in this room at West Falls Church and on Grace Live who have a passion and have less spirit like John the Baptist to pray, give, and serve so that we can create something. As often has been said, the church is the only organization in the world that was created for its 
non-members. That's an easy thing to say and a hard thing to do. But you guys do it. And my hat is, if I had one, would be off to you today. Thank you so much. We are 19 years old and we still function as if we're a brand new movement. And that could not happen without you. And that's unusual. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, Key moments. Key moments in biblical history surround water. So John is baptizing. Key moments in the history of the Bible surround water. The Red Sea is a huge one, big one. That's about the deliverance, being set free from bondage. And so what you have is you got Moses lead them out and they go down into the water. They're immersed in the water and they emerge the other side, set free, delivered. They have been delivered. And what John the Baptist is doing, just like they went to the wilderness to cross the Red Sea, John takes people out into the wilderness and he is reenacting the deliverance from the Egyptians. It's unmistakable. We are delivered. This is what baptism signifies. We are born out of water, out of our mother's wombs. We are actually reenacting our birth when we are baptized. Our bodies are made up of water. They're sustained by water. Water satisfies our thirst, and we just cannot live without water. Water represents the word of God. To a first century Jewish person, the water represents the Torah, the Bible. So when you are baptized into the water, you are immersing your very self in the knowledge, the revelation, and the application of God's word. So his values. You say, you know what? I'm going to live for his values. Baptism was about a whole new way of life, of living by the values of God that has now been revealed to you. And this is what John is doing. Baptism, everybody, here's the important point. Baptism is about this life, not the next life. Baptism is about making this life sacred. And it begins right here and right now. Baptism is not about getting into heaven. First century view, first century Jewish view. So when they're looking at what John the Baptist is doing and these words are written, they're saying, okay, this is what it means. It's about spiritual transformation. Baptism is not about me relocating from here to there. It's about what's up there relocating itself in here into me. You know, it's crazy, isn't it, how we invert that. If you grew up in church like me, maybe some of you did. I can remember so many times particularly if the evangelists would come in. Man, they would sweat all over the place, you know, and they're mopping themselves up, and they would lean on that pulpit much sturdier than this thing, and they would bang away, and a lot of times they'd shake the leg for some reason, right? If you die tonight, if you die tonight, will you go to heaven? How do we invert that? See, that's not the question. That's not what baptism indicates. Baptism is not about relocation. It's about transformation, about you changing your life here. It's about your life being here, being sacred. So the question is not do you, if you die tonight, you're going to heaven. The question is if you live tonight, will heaven be found inside of you? If you live tonight, will heaven be found inside of you? It's about an incredible transformation. And that's why John, when the tax collectors come, he's, they, they say to him, well, what do, you, what do we do? After he baptizes, look, look, here's what you do. Don't collect more taxes than what you're supposed to. Don't cheat people. The soldiers say, what do we do? 
They said, don't extort money from people. What is here and now stuff? You're living by the values of the kingdom. This is what baptism is. I'm beginning a whole new way of life. I'm immersing myself in the very values of Jesus Christ. I'm starting fresh. I'm starting anew. And I'm immersing myself in Christ. Some of us are standing on the edge of a great opportunity today. Maybe it's been unclear exactly what, who Jesus Christ is. But you value the same things that Jesus values. The same things that Jesus has made famous. Wouldn't you want to fully immerse your life in his? Because if you are creating the image of God, it is the only way to joy and contentment. So I only have one fill in the blank today, and that is let heaven in you so you can let heaven out. Let heaven in so you can let heaven out. This is why Jesus says in the most famous prayer of all, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth that is in heaven. The prayer is not take me to heaven, get me out of here, let me escape. The prayer is bring what's happening up there down inside of me. It's about a spiritual transformation taking place. Verse number 8. John says, I am not the light. He makes it really clear. Now, you can imagine the pressure that John was under. He got John the Baptist, and he's extremely popular. And people are going to him saying, are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Now, Elijah's famous. Are you Messiah? Are you Elijah? I mean, you know, when people start really building you up, you can start believing that stuff. Do you know what I'm saying? How quickly we can get confused. It's so tempting. Our pride just elevates. And he was, he was under all of that pressure. But John made it clear. He says, I'm not the light. I'm simply a witness to tell about the light. When I began, I talked about George Bailey. You know, he's in Potter's office. How quickly he became confused about his identity. We can become very, very quickly confused about our identity. Jesus Christ, when he was baptized, baptized by John the Baptist, baptized, boom. The very next thing that happens, he goes out into the wilderness. He's tempted by the devil. And every time the devil tempts him, how does he respond? With the values of God. He responds with the word of God because he's so immersed in who God is and who he has been called to be. It is very easy for us to forget our identity. Adam and Eve wanted to be like God. Could that ever happen to you? Could you ever want to be like God? We went to visit our daughter. Uh, We met her in Paris because it's cheaper to get to Paris than it is to Florence. And while there for four days, we went to Versailles, which is the most incredible palace in all of Europe, uh, built by King Louis XIV. Every day, King Louis went to church, and he invited the commoners to come into church as well. He sat up on the second floor with his family. The commoners were down below, and the church is stunning, stunning. And what they would do, the commoners, is they would get on their knees, turn their backs to the altar, and they would worship King Louis while King Louis worshiped God. Isn't that interesting? Now, if you had unlimited power and money, would you be tempted to think that you're God too? History tells us probably yes. That's why emperor worship is so popular. It's about independence and dependence. If there is a light outside that needs to come into this world and I'm not the light and you're not the light, it means that we're dependent upon that light. 
And that light is God. What is a good way to gauge whether or not you are really depending on God? There's probably a lot of tests. I just gave, give you one. Is prayer boring to you? Is prayer boring to you? Because if you're really dependent on God, prayer is extremely exciting. But if you're independent from God, why do you really need to pray? Prayer's really, really boring. But prayer is incredibly exciting if you are depending on God. Last point in verse number eight. We're told that John is a witness. He's a witness to the light. And that word is very important because it's the same word that we get the word martyr from. And that's a problem. I'm okay with him being a witness, but why does it have to be a martyr? We have a wonderful opportunity to reflect the life and the light of God in the world. We have an opportunity to reflect his image and find our own personal fulfillment and see God do wonderful things in the world. But we have to prepare ourselves that there could be times of discomfort in our own lives. John the Baptist was a witness. He was a witness to the light. And he found himself in a very difficult situation. He spoke out against Herod, King Herod, because King Herod had done something illegal and immoral. And when he spoke up about it, King Herod threw him in jail. Eventually, Herod cut his head off. I don't mean to be Debbie Downer this morning, but if you want to reflect the light of God... There might be times of discomfort and challenge, but that's how you know you're doing something. I went to the gym this past week before I got sick, and I took a class, and the trainer, he was kind of a tough guy, a lot of yelling and screaming, and we got done with one exercise, and he said, did that hurt? And a few people groaned. He said, good. That means you did it right. Well, if you're going to really reflect the light right that means there'll probably be some discomfort involved. Be some discomfort involved. I, I want to try to track with you uh, every single week with this, the Christmas story and the way they would have perceived things. When Moses, we've talked about Moses, we talked about the Red Sea already. When Moses was born, Pharaoh had given an order to the midwives. He said, I want you to kill every male baby that is born. Throw that male baby into the Nile River. And the midwives do something unheard of. You would never do this. They defied the order of Pharaoh, risking their own lives. They came up with some crazy story. They said the Jewish women are much hardier than the Egyptian women. And, you know, by the time we get there, they've popped the baby out, right? So they say this. But he doesn't take their lives, which is unbelievable that he did that. Now, what happens when Jesus is born? When Jesus is born, you have the wise men that come to visit Herod. And Herod says to the wise men, go find the baby Jesus. They go find the baby Jesus so I can go and worship too. This is what Herod says. But what does Herod do? He wants to kill baby Jesus. And so the wise men, like the midwives, defy. This is unmistakable to a first century Jewish person reading this text, which whom this is written to unmistakable, the connection between the great deliverer Moses and the greatest deliverer, Jesus Christ, between their two births. The wise men defy the order of Herod. They leave by another way. And what does Herod do? He goes into Bethlehem and he kills every male child 
that was there. It's unmistakable. Unmistakable. Sometimes reflecting the light involves a lot of pain. It's a challenge. But those who are up to the challenge, our world really needs it. Our world needs to see the light of Christ. Not only will we feel so much more purpose and fulfillment and contentment, but we will be difference makers in this world by living out the values of Jesus Christ. So in conclusion, I want to say this. Are you standing on the edge of a wonderful opportunity today? Like George Bailey. Are you on the edge of a wonderful opportunity? Have you ever thought about being baptized? I don't mean just water baptized. Have you ever thought about the values of Christ that are so famous, that he made so famous all over the world of love and of service and of sacrifice and of diversity? Have you ever thought to yourself, If you have not believed in Christ, if you thought, I need to plunge myself headlong into the very thing that is at the core of my being so that I might find the fulfillment and rest that I have always longed for, our soul longs for that. If we are created in the image of God, then the only way that we are going to find hope and joy and rest and peace is by living out the very values of Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about being baptized in his word and his values? Have you thought about that? And for some of you, have you thought about actually being water baptized? If you want information on that, it is a wonderful, sacred moment I would encourage you on your connect card in your bulletin, just write some legible information and we'll get back to you on that. We're going to do a bunch of baptisms at the beginning of this year. I want to end with a story. This story is stuck in my mind. And actually, I don't, I'm trying to think where I first heard this story from. I don't know if I read it. I don't know if I heard it. And the crazy thing is, I'm wondering to myself, did I actually hear it here? And what's really worse, I'm wondering to myself, did I actually tell this same story from this stage and I can't remember it? It's really bad. Anyway, I like the story, so I'm going to tell it to you. A man had a dream one night. And in this dream, an angel took him to this huge banquet hall. And this hall was filled with people, wonderful people. And it was filled with the most incredible food that you could ever have. But the people inside of this banquet hall filled with all of this great food were absolutely miserable. They were complaining. They were moaning. They were crying. They were frustrated. And the problem was, is they couldn't bend their elbows. They couldn't bend their elbows. So they couldn't, they couldn't eat. They could not eat. And so they were frustrated. They were discontent. They were miserable. And the man says, my goodness. And the angel says, come on, let's go. We'll take you to another room. Takes him to another room. Identical to the first. Same food. Filled with people. But in this room, they were filled with joy and laughter and happiness and contentment. It was awesome. And you know why? Because they couldn't feed themselves. They had the same problem with their elbows. But they could feed other people and other people could feed them. If you want to make your life great, according to Jesus, according to the gospel, John, if you want to make the world great, if you want to be a difference maker, then live out the very values of Jesus Christ. It is the pathway to your joy, contentment, satisfaction, and happiness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.
I want to ask that you would help us to discover exactly who Jesus is. And by doing so, we would discover who we are. In Christ's name, amen.